What is happening, you beautiful bastards? Welcome back to another week. This week, we speak to one Mark Cortez. Mark is interesting. He's a conservative from California. Yes, so that, that really makes him a liberal. <laughs> that right there makes it interesting to begin with. Uh, you know, they're kind of at odds with where they live. But you're right. It does kind of make him a liberal anyway. Yeah, pretty, on all of their standards, I would say he's probably pretty liberal. Yeah. But he has an interesting topic to talk to us about. Mm-hmm. Today, we're talking about climate change, but a little bit different than we've done in the past. Now, we all know, you know what, what we see on the news about climate change leading to the end of the world, and we're not going to live another more, another two or three generations. It's going to be over. Mark argues that while climate change is real, it's not as drastic as it sounds. What is happening, you beautiful bastards? I mean, uh, just today, I, uh, you know, where there's a nuclear power plant that's that power that's right there in Central California, <laughs> Diablo Canyon, right close to me, and. Um, People have been trying to shut that thing down for forever because they keep saying, you know, um, Chernobyl. And I'm like, yeah, Chernobyl, yeah, like from the 70s yeah. or from the 80s. And I'm like, there hasn't been any incidents, blah, blah, blah. So they're shutting, they shut it down and they're going to replace it with solar plus storage. And then I quickly did the math. I'm like, so you're shutting down the lowest form of CO2 emissions, the lowest, mm-hmm. uh, other than hydro. Yeah. And you're going to replace it with solar and batteries, which will increase our CO2 footprint by about 800%. How does that save the planet, right? Well, not only that, California right now is having a massive issue with power, and they just got rid of the best form of power. <laughs> yeah, well, so as of today, like Diane Feinstein, she said, you know, maybe we ought to, you know, maybe we shouldn't close down this plant. And I'm like, finally, there is one. <laughs> she's she's 90 years old, so she just probably is probably saying what some people would tell her, but um, you know, at, at, it's just there's there's a lot of that. You're right, the leadership is mm-hmm. just it's just, you know. Yeah, I actually wonder a lot about uh, what's going on in California and where they get their information to make these decisions because they're they're doing two things. They're super, super avoidant of nuclear power, which Riz and I are both big on board with that. We work with nuclear things at work. Uh, I We both know that it's safe. And if you look at historically, the nuclear incidents we had, it's not because nuclear is a problem. It's because the people in charge were. But then- well- you guys in California have a water issue and they refuse to address it with anything like desalination. Yeah. I also think it's just, just like anything that people are afraid of, right. It's comes from a lack of knowledge. True. Um, You know, they're, they're either doing, they're, they're getting the information that supports themselves or it's just, they're not knowing how it works and how safe it is, you know, and nuclear power is one of those things. And I think, you know, these days, um, because everything has gotten so polarized, it's sort of this confirmation bias, right? So people go, you know what, I'm going to go look into nuclear, and then they'll read five articles from uh, the New York Times. (laughs) And the New York Times will, of course, say, oh, I I can't even say the word nuclear. Ah, (laughs) they scream in panic. And so they go, see, there, it's fact, right? So it just confirms how stupid this is. I'm like, See, yeah, okay. We support nuclear power. And I, I love reading all the things where it's like, oh, this nuclear power, you know, I love reading anything on Chernobyl or Three Mile Island. I want to read more of it. It's like a morbid fascination with it. Well, uh, you know, look, France has uh, 70 nuclear power plants. 
They are the leader, leaders in the world when it comes. Yeah, to Yeah, and and you know they're not out there tooting themselves. They, uh, uh, you know, they they have the cheapest electricity in all of Europe. Have had it for decades. So you know what the hell, man. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> what's wrong with this picture? They, they literally, if they if France has something about nuclear power, listen to them. Yeah, they yeah, they got a good track record. They really do. Yeah, it's just they're they're cut they're leading the cutting edge of it, and they have so many, and they run it all the time. Like it, they're always they know what they're doing. You know. Well, yeah. now you guys are are gonna make me. Uh, well, now I, I, when I go home over the next couple of days, I'm gonna have to go fill up my car with seven fifty dollar a gallon gas. So yeah, see, <laughs> we're not far behind you, but ugh. yeah, we we're up to uh, five dollars here, which. Yeah. I know you guys are historically always higher. Seven fifty is crazy. That's I don't even know, even know if we're at that for diesel over here yet. Is that the highest you've ever seen? Seven fifty? Oh, it is. It's ridiculous. It's like to fill up a tank of gas, and I have an old beater Subaru, and it's it cost me one hundred and ten bucks. <laughs> yeah, I've. I mean, right now it's costing me a hundred bucks to fill up any of my vehicles. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, uh, if so. this gets much worse, screw, I'll just walk. <laughs> I, I just read, uh, I read a little article today on Biden's response to that. He wrote uh, a scathing letter to oil execs yeah, asking them, you know, like, <laughs> what's going on with your refining? Why aren't you doing it? Because, you know, clearly you're making tons of money. Do your job. You know, typical <laughs> Biden stuff where he's like, come on, guys, come on. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, and then they had a picture of him climbing out of uh, Air Force uh to the helicopter and i'm like yeah you know he says as he's exiting a gas-fueled helicopter it's like come on seriously it's, it's either I, I you know i have a whole bunch of words that i could use but i just like i'm like that's just cluelessness defined really yeah, like, yeah. hey what, what I, more you can know, you say at this point they they know they're they're out of touch yeah, yeah. and i you know i predict um uh, November is going to be just a whopper. I think we're not going to, it's going to be something like, uh, we've never seen before, which is just like, all right, we, we let the, we let the Trump hate machine take over the world for two years, but Oh damn, look what we did. And look what's, you know, <laughs> no, no, we're not going to do this anymore. And, and so on that note though, do you think we're uh, going forward? Are we just going to keep seeing this like flip-flop the seesaw motion, you know, oh, well, we're tired of this. Like we just can't handle two years or four years of anyone. You know, um, it's funny that you say that because um, I think why I reached, why we reached out to you and why I decided to write this book on the climate was because, um, you know, I, I've been in this business for, since the 1999 and, you know, I'm a conservative in a 99%, uh, you know, liberal industry. And so what, it, we're, there was no issue. There was no issue. We, we did good. We knew what we were doing. We didn't overpromise. You know, and so, but the narrative that has gotten out there um, and it's scaring the hell out of children to be, to be candid, which is another reason that I did this, um, is just, it's just craziness. Um, you know, so you got the, the climate deathers on one side and the climate deniers on the other. And most of us are somewhere in between who just want to have a rational discussion, but you're not even allowed to talk about it, right? It's just that's, that's all this science. And so I said, no, 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 I'm coming right at, I'm coming right down the middle here. And so... I think it's going to take someone who is who doesn't just, you know, like like when Obama said, you know, I'm going to be the down the middle president. Come on. You know, <laughs> someone's actually got to do it. Someone's going to say, I'm going to I'm going to produce a bill. And if it doesn't get any, uh, you know, other side of the aisle votes, I'm vetoing it. You know, it's going to take that. It's going to yeah. take someone who's just got the balls to do it. And um, so 
you know, I don't know. I don't know what happens in two years. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of crossing my fingers that we don't have another Trump debacle, even though you know, I liked some of the policy directions. But, man, I don't know that I can I can deal with all that drama of just whatever was, that was. I don't even know how to so describe much, it. Man. It was so brutal. Like, just it's not, like not even worth down. anything. It, it wasn't worth whatever positives you got out of that. Like the first yeah, two it, years, I could deal with the, or I, would say, I guess it was the first three years. Yeah, I could deal with the, the berate. Or like it just the constant abuse and then once covid hit it was like uh i know God, True, right? turn off the news <laughs> yeah it was just nothing but uh and and you know what um what struck me is it was almost like uh like you know and, and i'm in california right so most people think a different way politically than i do and um you know but so what we've i mean we've always been able to work this out this has not been that big of an issue until this and boy you say that i mean it was almost like trump is this trigger hypnotism word right you say well you know what about trump and everyone you know rational people would just their hair would go on file and they would just start <laughs> ranting and i'd be like okay this is a person i've never i've known you for 20 years and i don't know who he's talking to me right now yeah. they just it's just like they go from zero to 200 in the snap <laughs> yeah and i'm like well, I had, I, uh, you know, you know I so, a, a family outing or i think it was a christmas party and one of my wife's uh, aunts said that she voted for Trump or whatever. And her, one of the other family members, like just going off of that exploded. And we're like, wait a minute. She just said she voted for him. Like she's allowed to have an opinion. You know I mean? We can have this. This is America. She can say these things. Yeah. You know, she didn't say she wanted you to die. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's how they're interpreting it though. It really is. As you know, we know a lot of people on both sides of the aisle and like anti-Trumpers look yeah. at Trumpers as if they're intentionally out to kill everyone who doesn't vote for Trump. It's it's a level of madness I don't understand. Yeah. This is where the country's headed, man. Well, I hope we I hope we find our way out of it. And I think I think it's going to take more people committed to to, um, you know, purposely going more towards the middle and just uh I think um, it'll take the, the normal people because I think the mass majority of us fall in the middle. Mm -hmm. I think it'll take one of us finally being like, oh, I'm fucking done with this and <laughs> doing what needs to be done. You know what I mean? That's what it is, man. When you're just someone's because most of the time we sit in the middle and we're like, wow, they're fucked up. Oh, <laughs> yeah. they're fucked up, too. <laughs> Stand right here. And then finally, it's just going to be like, dude, I'm, I'm done with this. I can't handle this bullshit anymore. It's just so true. I, it's just true. Now, you had mentioned uh, you kind of sat in the middle on a couple issues, uh, specifically regarding your book. Let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. For, for one, what, what is your book? What's the title of the book? What's it about? So here, let me, uh, let me do a quick dodge and you can see it. It's, uh, it's called, oh, you can't see it. It's called. Uh, we, we give us a picture later. We'll throw it up. Okay. It's called Climaturity. So I just invented a word because I was like, man, we need a mature and reasonable and transparent discussion about the climate because. Mm -hmm. You know, for, for being in it for so long, I, you know, I know some of the solutions. I know some of the problems. I know where the holes are. Um, I just know it. And it's because I've lived it. And I've, I've lived on the front line of this discussion. You know, we're not going to be dead by Thursday. I promise. <laughs> I promise everyone we're not going to die from the climate by Thursday or Saturday. Guaranteed. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I teach at a college, uh, San Luis Obispo, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And you know, these seniors, so they're 22, 23 years old, getting into the workforce, young adults, you know, and, and they're like, this is, you know, they've just been bombarded with these messages. Like, 
I don't know if I can have kids because the world's going to be dead. I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, but genuinely feeling this. I'm like, so as one of the first brand guys in the solar industry, man, I took, I take that super personal because I was like, how did we screw that up? I mean, honestly, how do we screw that up? That is the exact scared kids is just uncool. It's just mm -hmm. uncool. And there's a strategy. And I mean, look, this is, this is an, a strategy for, and I found the blueprint for it from Columbia university, right? The, the bastion of all climate uh, paranoia, uh, Columbia, they wrote a blueprint, you know, here's how to label people who don't think like you. They're not, they can't be a skeptic. You have to call them a climate denier, right? right. And, uh, just like the Holocaust denier, right? So no, uh, <laughs> this is no secret here, but there's a blueprint. I mean, and, and it kind of gave me a, a, a cringe. To, I go, this is, this is actually super familiar, right? Isn't that what we've done in the past with with race issues, here's a blueprint for how to label and um, uh, show disdain for people who don't think like you. And then they they gave that to all the media outlets. And then so, and then their law school is now trying to prosecute people for or trying to prosecute companies for having, you know, too much CO2 emissions. So it's just madness. And and so, um, you know, between my own experience, between what I'm seeing as the results of decades of just climate death uh, narratives, uh, <laughs> and I said, you know what? I, I have some questions. I'm not even, I'm, I'm in this business and I'm not even allowed to have this discussion. Like people won't talk to me. Like uh, I, I will say, well, don't you think about the science? You know, isn't it weird that all of our, all of the climate discussion is based on 45 made up scenarios with computer models that are made up and you hit enter and everyone's calling crystal ball predictions science. I go, isn't that weird? I mean, I'm an engineer. If I had done that in, you know, I would I would have failed. Right. So they're like, oh, man, you know, it's science. It's close enough. Shut the hell up. Just believe it. So that, that's what started me down this path. And I'm like, I, I'm not buying this. So I just said, I'm going to research this. And, and actually, when I started this, I was expecting to kind of find the holy grail. I'm like, all right, maybe I'm just ignorant. Maybe if I read enough science, maybe if I read the 4000 page IPCC report, which is, oh, my gosh, that's just a, a painful <laughs> thing. Maybe if I do that. You know, the magic bullet will show up and I'll have this enlightened moment. And actually, at the end of this process, I'm actually um, I feel worse about that. <laughs> I actually feel like this is a really carefully con uh, constructed story that's been being built over decades. Uh, having said that, I actually believe that climate change is a real thing. I think that man has had and is having an influence on it that's still, you know, to be determined how much of it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that needs, you know, some direct attention. But the path that we're on with this hysteria and the denialism on both sides is not getting us anywhere close. No, well, that's the problem nowadays, right? Like climate change, I think it's a real thing, but I think a lot of what we're dealing with isn't even, you know, you, for me, it's all America, right? We're, we hear about what America has done wrong, what America needs to do. We can do everything they say, and none of it will matter if the rest of the world doesn't change a damn bit of anything. Like, you go see pictures of their beaches, you'll never get in that water. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, right? I mean, um, that's that's part of it is, um, uh, and if you look at the number, I, I've, I purposely dug into the numbers of this because um, no one ever wants, you know, if you are a true believer, you will never dig into the math. You know, you'll never dig into the cost. So, you know, McKinsey, very well-respected uh, consulting company, right? They're, they're on the front, the front edge of the climate discussion. 
they came up with a number for what it would take just to decarbonize. And that's just, that's not reversing CO2 growth, right? That's just stopping it, stopping yeah, the growth yeah. over time. So this net zero, what's the, what's the price tag of that? $272 trillion, right? Nice. So at global GDP is 90. So this is four <laughs> times that or three times that. Right, so you're never gonna get there. <laughs> well, and then if you continue to do the math, like who's gonna pay for it? You know, are the developing countries gonna pay for it? Of course not. So the chances are that that the the five or six highest GDP countries in the world um, will pay for it and get you know who, who's number one, us, who's number two, China. And when I did the math and I, I looked at the working the working uh, people in the U.S. Um, and when I did the math, the total was about 13,000 bucks each for each of us per year, forever, right? So forever. like, and that's like starting now. And there's a reason you don't hear these numbers because they're unbelievable, right? So imagine, just think of, uh, you know, I just go think of all the things that happened with COVID where people go, you know what? I'm two years away from retirement. Boom, early retirement. I'm out of the workforce. Who needs this crap? So imagine if you were starting a company and I, you know, I'm, I'm a startup entrepreneur. So, you know, why the hell would I do that if I know the first 13 cents of every dollar I'm going to make is going to go? It's not even a real thing. It's an insurance policy, right? Because these are the things that you're going to put it into a fund and they're going to fund solutions over the next 30 to 40 years. Man, it's just not going to happen. It's just yeah, will yeah. not happen, nor should it. It's, it's a stupid idea. And that's just to decarbonize. At some point, we actually have to make CO2 go lower. You know, that's just to uh, to make it, uh, to even it out. So um, anyway, I wrote this book because I want to have this talk. I want to have a dialogue. I want reasonable people to sit there and say, where, you know, what are we missing here? What what can we do as a com- country to help try to solve this problem that isn't going to just make us crazy? Then like you and I, we were talking beforehand on the fact that they're trying to push out nuclear power, which is increasing the carbon output anyways. So they're not even adopting systems that would be better for what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, so, for example, I um, there's a maybe you guys have heard of this project Drawdown. Maybe you've heard of this uh, organiza- nonprofit organization. They have gone through and they've come up with an entire list of solutions. It's a great it's a great resource. So they've got 75, 80 solutions, and then they they've put costs associated with with each one of these and costs, but also potential effectiveness, right? Which is CO2 reduction or CO2 effect, right? And they went and they they produced this thing. So I used that number and you can go on their website, projectdrawdown.org. And I took those numbers, I put it into a spreadsheet and I, I did it dollar, I, I sorted it dollar per CO2 reduced mm-hmm. and I sorted it. And out of the 75 items that were there, um, electric vehicles were 67. <laughs> Meaning, yeah. and and hybrids were 60 oh, uh, uh, sorry uh electric evs were 68 and hybrids were 67 so uh the first power one was 33 which was distributed rooftop solar which means that there are 32 other things that are way m- m- easier to implement mm. uh, and cheaper that would have a greater effect things like hey don't cut down those trees to put a solar factory you know it's common sense type stuff <laughs> or hey, maybe don't dig up that farm to put a blacktop, uh, right? A lot of these sort of fall into the duh category. And so when I do that, and I, I included it in here, I was just like, man, we're, we're, we're just chasing, this is just 
honestly, politicians chasing jobs. Um, it's just, that's, that's what it comes down to. There are so many different ways to do it. You know, the best thing that happened to, to climate change, people hate, I hate to say it because it just sounds so awful, was COVID. Because in one year, <laughs> one year, we, we dropped, uh, in 2020, our emissions in the U.S. dropped by 11%, 15 in transportation. Um, and it's the greatest drop in U.S. history since, right? So between 19, so 50 years of great aggressive climate policies, emissions keep going up. One year of conservation, yes, it was awful. But, you know, we achieved in one year what we haven't been able to do in 50 What's wrong with this picture? I mean, come on. And a, a lot of that's going to stick, too, because now so many people can uh, work remotely. Now, you've got me wondering, too, because, you know, I obviously we hear all the stuff coming from uh, the, uh, I don't know, maybe climate fanatics. I don't know what to call them. The people who are really, really big on climate change and the extreme dangers we're in. Uh, I think we can all agree, you know, like you mentioned, that climate change is is happening. But what kind of danger are we actually in? compared to what they are telling us we're in. Because if we if we did like a scale of one to 10, they're telling me it's a 12. Like what, what's a little bit more realistic then based on what you're looking at? Yeah, so I have this conversation. It's a very short conversation as you can imagine, <laughs> right? Climate emergency, I'm gonna focus on that word emergency because I've had an emergency before. I've had, you know, an emergency with myself, with my kids. You know, when emergencies happen, you know, shit stops. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, the ambulance comes, you get wheeled away in a gurney, you go to the doctor. Uh, if the doctor says, you know, this is what's going on, you either got to have an operation, you know, you don't question it, you do it. Right. So stuff happens. That's an emergency. So when everyone tells me it's a climate emergency, I'm, I'm like, so why haven't you stopped using fossil fuels? Right. I mean, you're wearing clothes, you're eating food, you've got a computer, you've got a phone, you've got some sort of transportation, you've got a house. These are all made with fossil fuels. Why haven't you given it up? Why haven't you sold everything <laughs> and given up your child's future? You know, they're not going to college because you're going to go live in a yurt up on a mountain somewhere. Why haven't you done that? In fact, no one has done that, right? Do you know anyone who has done that? Of course not. It's a stupid idea. So climate <laughs> emergency, the first thing I do, I call them. I'm like, dude, where's the ambulance, right? If, if it's an emergency, why, you know, like here, I mean, uh, so I'm going to pick on Biden again. Right. We had the Glasgow conference, the IPCC conference in Glasgow. So Biden gets on Air Force One, fuels it up with jet fuel, flies all the way to Europe, stops in Paris, has a 20 limo motorcade through Paris, because why wouldn't you if you could? Right. It's awesome. You go through the town and they stop the whole city and you go through there and you see the Eiffel Tower and you do your photo ops. And then you get back on your plane, fuel it up, fly to Glasgow. Then you stare at the camera and you go, you know, climate change is an existential crisis click, and then you fly back on the Air Force One. I mean, the carbon footprint of that stupid thing alone was, you know, ridiculous, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, if he was really concerned about it, he goes, you know, I'm zooming this thing for five minutes, and I just saved us 20 tons of CO2. But of course, yeah. so that's the first thing is uh, climate emergency. The second thing is the solutions that are being proposed, like um, net zero, for example, or decarbonizing or replacing um electricity at a at a coal or a um, you know gas fueled power plant with something like solar um, we've done this sort of fake math and I'm, I'm I call it the uh, the avoided donut fallacy right so <laughs> let's say you go to a doctor and he says you've got you're 100 pounds overweight 
and you got to lose that weight, right? So that's CO2, right? We've got too much CO2 in there. So you got to lose that hundred pounds and, and you go, you know, I I'm used to eating 20 donuts a day. So I'm going to cut that 20 donuts down to five. So I save 15, right? So if I do 15 and I divide that by hundred pounds, I'm skinny in four months. And then you step back and you go, well, but wait a sec, you're still five donuts a day fatter, right? <laughs> so the only thing that I can guarantee is that you're fatter at the end of this exercise. So how does that work? So all these things where we do this sort of CO2 replacement uh, shell game where, well, if you do solar and, and replace this, but you don't ever replace it, you just add it. Nothing ever gets decommissioned. If you put solar on your house, they're not over at the power plant going, let's see, Joe, all right, click. We're clicking off that gas, right? It doesn't happen. It never happens. You're just adding stuff. So I can, the only thing I can guarantee at the end of all this decarbonization, it's going to take us 30 to 50 years to do this, is that total CO2 will be higher. Okay? You're five donuts a day fatter. And the math is really simple. And I mean, this is just, it just defies logic that this is the way it is. Same with EVs, right? So I mean, an EV coming off the production line has about twice the CO2 emissions embedded into that than a regular combustion vehicle. The best thing you can do is just don't drive, man. Take the bus. Take the subway. Well, that's the thing. I always, So Jerry and I are both car guys, and we always found it funny when people are driving Priuses or fully electric vehicles. And it's like, yeah, what, what's your house powered off of? Coal. Huh, that's good. <laughs> so you just made the emissions worse <laughs> yeah <laughs> have you uh, have you guys driven uh teslas or any of these other things yeah i haven't driven a tesla but i've driven electrics and hybrids i've, I've driven hybrids but i've never actually driven anything electric like uh the most the closest thing was uh, a hybrid prius where i could run on electricity only yeah. um but yeah that's that's the closest i've come to it you know, get, I, I would say as car guys, get into a Tesla and drive that thing. It is badass, right? It's a great piece of tech, but it's, it's responsive. I mean, holy cow, talk about, you know, you go from zero to 60 in this ridiculous amount of time. You actually have to push yourself back in the seat because you're going to, you know, and uh, it's awesome. It's a great vehicle. It's got all kinds of gadgets, but I'm getting, you know, it's not climate salvation. It's just a really cool piece of tech. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you talk so, to any any car guy who they probably know more about the efficiency and like that, the actual emissions than anyone, you know, the answer, if you want to stick with vehicles is diesel, <laughs> unless you're going to put a nuclear power plant inside of a car, which I don't think we're doing. <laughs> like uh, back to the future, right? So, uh, you know, if you had a if diesel engine is the way you're going to go. Cause you can get away from, from actual fossil fuels with a diesel engine. You can't do that with a gas. Yeah. Not fully. You know, so I think, uh, you know, I mean, this is not, I, I, I joke with people. I'll say, um, you know, some people will say, well, what's, what's the answer to this? And I say, well, first of all, you know, natural solutions, you know, trees suck out carbon from the air. That's what mm-hmm. they're built to do. So maybe a, a, a massive reforestation pro- project where all of our national parks become carbon sinks, probably mm-hmm. not a bad idea. Right, you could do it at a fraction of the cost, and we could start lowering total CO two today, without spending thirty to fifty years and multiple trillions on trying to uh, to spin the world backwards on its power grid. <laughs> we don't like we don't like what's happened now. I know gas has has gotten us out of the caves, and you know it's been really awesome, but you know cancel culture. We don't like it now, so reset. Let's start over. Well, man, that's just not going to happen. You know, I I started my solar career in Africa. Right. So 
Africa, where there's no electricity and a farmer needed to pump water out of a well to, to, to water his calves, hugely awesome, right? It changes their life. Um, if they're trying to get their entire country out of poverty and you show up with solar, they're like, dude, where's the rest of it? Why, why can't we have what you have? Why can't we have what got you out of poverty? And we're like, no, 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 we're, we're America. We know better. We know what you need. <laughs> you don't know what you need. We know what you need. <laughs> so, so we're going to give you power that works a third of the time and you're going to thank us. <laughs> so it sounds like you had a decent amount of experience with solar power then. Yeah. So I spent uh, probably two decades in solar. So from 1999 and then I, I worked in EV infrastructure for a bit and then energy storage. So I know my way around uh, both the markets and the products in these, in these areas. So, I mean, solar seems like a great thing on someone's house. It doesn't seem like a great thing in the field. <laughs> you know, I think solar is great at what it does. I, you know, great on your house. Um, it can work in a field. It, uh, I, I don't, you know, I like solar. I, people in my, you know, my old colleagues now are, are upset with me for having, <laughs> for saying this kind of stuff, but I'm like, there's nothing wrong with solar. But, you know, it's it, it has its appropriate place in the energy mix, which mm -hmm. is what, two to five percent. It's it's really good. It was always meant to be a plug into the side of the grid and to help ease tensions. But but there's also plenty of problems that come with it. OK, so like here in California, right, let's beat on California a little bit. Um, there are plenty of times where we have so much solar electricity, we can't use it. So the, the, the grid operator tells us, you know what, guys, turn it off, literally. It's called curtailment. So they just say, uh -huh. shut it down. So you shut it down. So we've got too much. And then there are other times when uh, they don't want to curtail it, but you know what? Let's send it off to Arizona because they could use it. So we send it somewhere else. So you got California's paying for, for solar um, and you're either, we're either shutting it down, which makes no sense, or we're sending it somewhere else. But so, then you, we hear that the, the, power, the, hydraulic, the hydraulic, the hydropower plant at Lake Mead is not going to be able to put out power and you guys are going to be screwed anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's because I think that's because of water, right? So, yeah. Um, but so look, I, solar is absolutely, it, it works. It's reliable. There's so many good things about it. I guess I just, I, uh, I have a difficulty when, when it, when solar becomes climate salvation and that if we don't solarize the world um, tomorrow, then we're all going to die. I just sit there and I go, man, that's just, that's lunacy. I, I did the math. Okay. Global capacity for solar, um, I, I, what, I, what I said was in 2050, the world needs this much power. Here's how much we can produce per year. And I think when I, when I just did the math and these are big numbers, you know, quadrillion kilowatt hours, I think I said we have to, it would take us 178 years at current capacity to build enough energy to meet our needs in 2050. And that's still only a third of the day because it's solar. So 178 years, right? So of course, no one ever does that math because it sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, we just take what we're told. Right. So, so, so I, look, I think it all has a place. Solar has a place. Windmills have a place. It has to, you know, but the idea that fossil fuels are going away, you can't make one solar panel. You can't make one windmill. You can't make one nuclear power plant without plenty of oil and gas. Now that brings up uh, one thing I was thinking about while you were talking about this. Uh, when you, when we're talking about fossil fuels, uh, it it is a finite resource. Now I don't know what the actual numbers are because depending on who you ask, you get a different answer on how big that resource is, how big the reserves are. Yeah, I I think it's big, but I don't really know. Uh, so 
how do you approach that from your angle when we're using up a finite resource to fuel the way that we live and our current climate change? Yeah, well, we're replacing one finite resource with another. Okay, so what's the diff, right? So electric vehicle batteries, lithium, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, you're, you're ripping up mountains uh, um, to go mine lithium, uh, to build solar panels. You're, you're bulldozing mountains to get the minerals that you need. Um, the silver and the other minerals. So those are all finite, you know, so it's all finite. We're we're just trading one for the other. And what makes it worse, unfortunately, with solar is that almost all of the solar modules are made in China, right? So let's see, we want to be free from the influence of Russia on oil and gas. So let's pin our, you know, pin our hopes on China. (laughs) And then we actually have a trade law that uh, prevented them from doing what China's going to do, which is gouge the crap out of everything and, and cheat. And they did, and we can prove it. And the Department of Justice said, we're going out to China. And Joe Biden said, you know what? Let's give them a pass. Come on, guys. Uh, you know, they're not really that bad. And, you know, and so, <laughs> so you're, you're replacing one with another. My view is um, the, the fastest way to slow down emissions is with conservation programs. You know, if, if just, if you started paying people to save electricity, if you started paying people to save water, which is what I'm doing with my startup, Liquidate, watch, watch what happens, right? When we wanted people to use solar in California, we paid them. This is not rocket science, mm-hmm. right? So you want people to use 20% or less, less electricity, pay them. And so imagine that program that would roll out from the government saying, hey, we're going on a massive conservation program. We're gonna spend about a 30th of the budget that we have for all this other stuff. And we're gonna keep trees, we're gonna reforest, we're gonna use uh, all the dozens of natural solutions that are available as natural carbon sinks, and we're gonna conserve. And we're gonna try that for five years and watch what happens to overall CO2 levels, not emissions, overall CO2 levels. You can't do um, that and- though, that money's for someone else, like their friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so, um, so my view is we're replacing one uh, you know, depletable resource with another. Um, lithium is already a problem, um, and it's only going to get worse. So I, you know, I, for anyone who thinks, um, I, I really wish, you know, people could watch how some of these uh, greener energies are are made, because the first step is take that bulldozer and mow down that mountain, right? It's yeah. about as, it's about as black as you can get, right? It's just, yeah. If you haven't seen or, the lithium mines, they're pretty pretty horrendous. Yeah. You know, biomass is just a fancy word for cutting down forests and burning them. So um, how is that clean? <laughs> Nuclear power, <laughs> everyone. It's not. It's just, uh, so it's, it's you know, that's, again, part of what I'm, I want to do here is just have this dialogue. Let's at least put it all on the table. Every, no one is telling us the complete truth. No one. I, it's just fascinating to me. All of my, uh, the, the people in, in the solar business, um, you know, we're guilty of doing the same thing that oil has done. And I hate mm-hmm. to say that, but, you know, we're going to tell you our version of the truth, right? We, you know, I talk to a lot of people and they go, solar is the solest, is the cheapest electricity there is, right? I keep, I see these articles every day, you know, this is solar is the cheapest electricity by far. And I say, well, wait a sec. How, is that true at midnight tonight when the sun's down? Oh, well, not then, right? So the caveat is when it works. Mm-hmm. But at, in fact, at midnight tonight, all the money in the world couldn't power one light bulb. So I would argue that most of the time, renewable energy 
is the most expensive in the world because it doesn't work most of the time. So I think we need to be having these discussions, right? Absolutely. A responsible energy plan that incorporates all of this. We have to uh, we have to sort of shut out the the deathers on one side and the, the deniers on the other, um, and come up with the real plan. Fossil fuels are not going any going anywhere in my lifetime, in your lifetime, in my kids' lifetime. They are here. They're here to stay. You can't do any energy transition without them. You can't live without them. And so, the, you know, it's just, the only it's, way I see us getting rid of fossil fuels is a absolutely massive technological breakthrough. Right. If we find out that some hugely available resource has power source that we didn't know about, which is doubtful unless we're like nuclear cherries. fusion, for example. There you exactly. Go. You know what I mean? Like, so if that happens, all right, fine. I guess everyone's going. And even then, because I don't think electric cars. To me, with where we are with electric cars right now, I mean, even the Teslas, you're seeing Teslas now where the batteries are having to be swapped out. And yeah. the car dealers are going, what do we do with these? Yeah. The old batteries, they don't know. Yeah, they never you, really planned that far ahead with it. Well, you can't, they're not recyclable. Right. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just, you get this hunk of, hunk of shit. That you, so <laughs> they just keep on their floor now and they go, um, someone take this. Like, I don't know. Um, you know, well, so was, uh, back to the future, it was Mr. Fusion, right? Where, uh, he stuck banana peels in there and cigarette butts and, yeah. and, uh, and they, they created flying cars, right? Something like that. I mean, shit, if that worked, that'd be great, but I don't see that happening. Well, um, yeah, and so my, my view is let's continue the energy transition. We have been slowly evolving our grids over time. Let's have a realistic and transparent dialogue. I, I'm all about transparency. And so, you know, what bothers me most about, one of the th things that bothers me most about the climate discussion is, you know, uh, I'll just use this as, as an example, but not as an example of my politics or anything like that. You know, when when uh, our last president, they accused him of uh, treason, right? With this Ukrainian phone call, man, you couldn't go for a month. That's all you heard about. It was on your phone. It was on every tweet. It was on everything. When we decided we wanted to communicate it, boy, we did, right? Oh, yeah. And yet I've never seen a, a group of climate scientists in front of Congress. I've never seen that. I've never <laughs> seen it on a public display explaining why future looking predictive models are the same things as crap that I can measure in, you know, in, in a lab. Why, you know, so the science, you know, so it's, it's fascinating to me. Why hasn't that ever happened? And you know why, because it wouldn't take long to figure out how, uh, as I said earlier, how uh, painstakingly constructed this whole thing is. So look, there's plenty of science that has, has, has been occurring we can measure stuff in the past, but the idea that we're going to take stuff we know about and then try to figure out, build computer models that accurately predict the earth, not only from the past, but also move that into the future and then bet trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars on it is fantasy, right? I mean, so, and I always say, you know, imagine we're not scientists, but imagine, you know, tomorrow they said, all right, I want you to go build a computer model for oceans. <laughs> and you go, well, which one? All of them, <laughs> all of the oceans. So you have to predict their CO2 absorption. You have to predict their temperatures. You have to predict their, their depth. You have to predict all of these things, um, not only from the past, so you have to go get real measurements, but now I want you to predict those into the future. And the end prize is multiple trillions of dollars that are gonna be spent because of your answer. 
So I literally <laughs> impossible. <laughs> that's like oceans. Now, what about clouds? Like, oh, there's a cloud there. Oh, it went away. So you have to predict all clouds all everywhere over all of history and their effect on the, you know, on the greenhouse gas effect. So go. And how do you know if you're right? Like, how do you, if you model oceans, how do you know if you're right? Uh, can, do you take a tape measure and go all the way down to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean and go, oh, I was six inches off, right? So, um, so they do their best. I think it's, it's come a long way in the past 20 years, but the idea that they are sufficient for planning, uh, I mean, we're talking hundreds of trillions of dollars of mm -hmm. public expense is, is, and I think we've learned that, I mean, if, if anything, we know that money is what drives everything right now. Of course it is. And in the past, shit, I don't know, 10 years, I would say, I think it's gotten very obvious to most people who are watching the political game that they learned that they, they can't get away with what they used to get away with. And it's a lot harder. And that's why you're seeing, I think, this like complete polarization of everything because everything's out in the open. And, and you know, they, they're trying to pull the games that they pulled in the in the 80s and 90s, and people are calling it bullshit right off the bat. And so, you know, it's um, I think politics is learning, which is why it's so painful for us. And it's all it's all about money. Everything's yeah. about money. Right and now. and Mark, ridiculous. like you had mentioned, the transparency thing which you're a fan of, so are we. Politicians have never been a fan of that, but now it's becoming something that they're forced to uh, yeah, exactly. present people with. This, the information is out there now. And it's actually, it's funny that you mentioned the uh, the climate models because we've grown up over the last 20, 30 years watching all these climate models come out. And I don't think that I can even recall one where it turned out to be true. It was always like, oh, it's happening 30 years faster, or it turns out we have another 100 years. It's They're never what they said they would be. Yeah, so they're always wrong, uh, and and but you know people also don't understand what the models oh. are. There is a there's a physical part, which is how is the world been nice. reacting, right? So ocean temperatures, ground temperatures, and stuff you can actually measure. Then there's the sociological part, which is gross domestic product, company growth, renewable energy adoption rates, um, right? And so they just created forty five different scenarios. They're all made up. They're smart, they're smart scenarios, but not one of them is right because they're not, they actually weren't supposed to be right. They were just, they started out as a way to frame different discussions so we could start looking at this. And then over time and lots of political pressure, the IPCC analysts were, were pressured to taking these extreme versions and now take the, the most extreme scenario and they're calling it, well, that's business as usual. This is definitely gonna happen um, if, we do, if we continue down our path, which is of course just all made up. So. You know, I look at 20th century, right? All of the 1900s, the earth average temperature rose by a degree. Okay, so we did quite well. <laughs> we cured thousands of diseases. The, the human population doubled. We, uh, you know, global GDP went through the roof. Um, we can feed now the world uh, 100 times, not 100 times over, multiple times over. A distribution is one thing, but right, we're not, we actually did quite well. So the idea that if, if temperatures go up by a degree or one and a half degrees, the idea that, you know, the Himalayas are going to suddenly melt overnight and cause this tsunami and cause, you know, Tibetans to run for cover, it's just pure science fiction. It's like, uh, it's like Sharknado 
science fiction, right? It's like yeah, bad yeah. science fiction. It's like, come on, people. It's just never going to happen. So there's plenty of, our history shows this, that a little bit of warming helps the planet. I mean, you know, uh, the Ice Age killed way more people and things than anything that's happened with global warming. So by far. Mm-hmm. So um, now I'm not saying that, you know, untethered uh, global warming is, is a good thing. Of course it's not. But uh, my point is, um, it's just, it's not hinged in facts. And so the climate models, I get into this discussion all the time. So people hate me, but I say, man, I got a lot of, uh, you know, I'm raising my hand. I got a lot of questions about climate models. Why you're asking me to spend, okay, I'll, I'll personalize that. I have to write a $13,000 check tomorrow, right? And if my wife is working, she has to write one too. That's $26,000 out of my house. And my son's got four years to go to college. That means I'm starting to look at that and go, well, I'd love to send you to Cal Berkeley, but you know what? I gotta, I gotta spin the work the world backwards. So uh, <laughs> you can go, you can go the second year, right? Every other year you'll go to college, right? That's that's real money. So you're handing me the bill. Damn right, I'm gonna ask some questions about. It. <laughs> I am gonna ask some questions about it. And if you can't prove it, and if you can't make a case for it, then I'm gonna raise my hand and, and throw throw a stink about it. And that's so that's uh, that's kind of where I've been. What do you say about like? It seems uh, we're seeing more and more of these disasters, that are, and it's stuff that we haven't seen before that's popping up almost like a, a monthly basis. Yeah, and so I this in, in my next book uh, when I do the research, I, I, I can't speak too intelligently about this. My what I've read at a very cursory level is um, first of all the dollar value of um, damages has gone down by you know, hundreds of percent in terms of dollars per disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and why? Because of that, we've adapted. And the example I always used is um, you know, New Orleans, Hurricane Katrina. I actually was working with a solar company that went into the lower ninth ward right after Katrina and put solar on a bunch of houses. And at the time we thought we were being so righteous. And I remember now I'm thinking back, you know, maybe they just could have used some food or some security guards because man this was a wasteland you know yes we felt good we were being solar righteous but they probably could have used some security or some tangent but you know thousands of people were killed by hurricane katrina because the levee system broke right so now fast forward to 2020 2021 hurricane ida hits uh new orleans uh not quite as powerful as katrina but still category four hurricane 100 people were killed Okay, why? Because the uh, the levees held. So we adapted, we learned. Um, so, you know, if you're worried, you know, I mean, you know, ask anyone this question, right? You have beachfront, you're rich, you have beachfront property in Miami, you're 20 feet from the ocean. And if over years that 20 feet becomes 10 feet, are you just going to stay there? Uh, no, you're going to probably sell that house, build another one a mile inland and you're good. So, so we adapt. And uh, so the idea that we're just going to stand there while the earth melts over 50 years and we're just going to be stuck in our thumbs is just sort of a stupid idea. Uh, you know, yeah, it's yeah. not going to happen. So we've adapted. So it's a long answer to your question. But what I've seen is that you can't show a direct correlation between um, more weather activity or more, I guess, disaster, climate disaster activities um, o- over time that, with uh, you can't connect that with co2 emissions it's and the damages the money value of that has gone dramatically down too so um but i you know that's my opinion based on some stuff i've learned i've read so 
there's probably some people who come in there and say, hey, here's the actual dollar value. Um, but so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to me, I don't worry about the dollar value so much as it just seems like, you know, as, uh, as you know, today it's CO2, it used to be CO. And before that, it was, you know, CFCs and all that shit. But it seems like as that's gone up, the amount of bullshit that we're dealing with on the weather front has gone up as well. But I want, so I wonder, I, um, I don't know. And so here's, here's an interesting thing, you know, um, everything's happened since 1980, right? So all of a sudden, yeah, it's our magical date, <laughs> right? So that's, I swear yeah. that's when we started really keeping good records on a lot of things. <laughs> well, Hey, what, what else happened in 1980? The internet. Mm. <laughs> so we now have, you know, I could probably, uh, figure out your personal body temperature over the past six months if I wanted to really dig into it, right? So we are I now inundated data. with data. So uh-huh, it happened in 1980. So when people say, you know, it's it's the first time in 25 million years that we're at this temperature, I'm like, really? You know any people from 25 million years ago, you're out there counting ice cores and sawing trees in half and counting rings versus we have real-time temperature data about every single dang thing in the world right now. Don't you think there's a gap in our understanding of data? Right. Oh, so, um, so I think our ability to process all that data is now, uh, it's just way behind. So I'm not saying, I, you know, I'm just saying it's something to look at. I'm not saying that uh, the data uh, is wrong. I'm just saying it's, we just don't have all the information. We don't, mm. we don't have the ability to process all that information. Um, like we did, you know, it's, it's still new. So when we're talking about the, uh, the, topics that you, you covered in your book what were like give us a couple of your biggest takeaways from the research that you did to write it and did it did it help evolve your opinions and you know what were the biggest takeaways you had from that yeah i think the first thing i uh that i that really drove home is you know the intergovernmental uh, panel on climate change the ipcc that produces this is they're a group of the united nations um, and there's thousands of analysts, but they are not scientists. And so um, most people, so they produce these reports. The last one just came out in April, 3,700 pages, yowza, right? So no one, who the hell is going to read that? The, the politicians don't even read that. And I've tried to get through it. And then they produce all these little cliff notes versions of these, which is what some people read. Um, so they're not scientists. They don't produce any primary science. They don't do research. Their job is to assimilate. Their job is to assimilate. So, and one of their goals is to present a unified front. Well, <laughs> okay. So, so if your goal is to present a unified front, then I'm going to make sure that whoever disagrees with me is not invited to that damn meeting, right? So, <laughs> there's hundreds of scientists who are out there saying, "Come on, guys, you know we were kicked out, or they didn't listen to us at all." And so, it's a multi-year process of this. So, they're not scientists. They produce what they're, they're politically appointed by governments all over the world. They produce conclusions that their government wants them to produce. So that's the first thing. It's not science. They're, they're analyzing science. Um, so I think that that was really important because most people consider that the Bible. You know, that when, when I get into these discussions, people will sort of flap that around at me. Yeah, but 3,700 pages says you're wrong. I'm like, no, it actually doesn't say that. But um, these are analysts, right? These are, you know, this is a political analyst. If they say something that they don't like, then they get fired. And as an example of that, when people go, oh, that's just not true. I said, really? So do you, so do you think during the Donald Trump era that if some analyst 
was out there saying, oh my God, global warming is going to kill us all and was producing reports. Do you think that that person would have longevity, right? <laughs> so, no, he would have gotten fired or she would have gotten fired. So it's a politically motivated um, piece of information. Um, the other thing was, I think the second thing was, is how carefully crafted the story is. Okay, the one and a half degrees number that we've um, that we keep hearing about, right? Like, or two degrees, where if if it if we can't get it below two degrees, Armageddon happens. Mm. As I have found, and that's going to be the subject uh, of my next book, is those are made up numbers. There's no science that says that at all, right? So, so the one and a half to two degrees number made up. All of the 45 scenarios made up. Isn't one of them that's true? All of the computers models that we use to generate all the information, all wrong every single time. So, so are you saying that's made up because it's one of the computer generated models? Or you like looked at it and you're like, yeah, no, that was just some pulled, no, someone it, pulled that number out of the raft. So it, the technique they use is this thing called scenario planning. Okay. And mm -hmm. so, um, and Dutch uh, Shell did this back in the seventies. They actually spearheaded this and I worked for Shell for a while. So it was a very, very clever way to do it rather than try to predict the future. They said, let's just craft some scenarios that potentially could happen. It's right? just, just like watching reports. a hurricane tracker and they have like the 57 different ways that the hurricane yeah. could go. It's basically right. a game of what if. Yeah. It's a big game of what if. And it was designed. <laughs> Odds are for one's that. right. <laughs> and when they first did this, all of those scenarios had an equal chance of it happening or not. Right. There was yes. no claim that. Hey, scenario 33 is greater probability than scenario 40, 45, right? It was just a way to put it all in front of them and say, all right, let's say that, you know, everyone turns to coal and then we double the amount of cars and we have a, a recession, that's scenario X. Mm -hmm. What are all the bad things that could possibly happen, right? So that's the game. Um, so you do that. So it's made up, right? And so, and then you, then you put all of, then you go back and you say, all right, I'm going to put in stuff that I can measure, temperatures, CO2 levels. I'm going to put that into my model. And then I'm going to guess, all right, I'm going to guess that France's uh, GDP is going to be 2.7% in 2025. <laughs> Click, right? And then you do that with the next and, you know, mm -hmm. next. And then you hit enter and then boom, there's an answer, right? And so, um, but what, what has changed over time is... Um, the analysts have not been allowed to just be impartial. They've been pressured to pick pick scenarios, and the ones that they have picked have been uh, the most extreme ones. So that's yeah. that, that's now considered uh, business as usual, as they call it. Um, so, but they're still all made up. Even the business as usual scenario is not a true. It's not a true indication of what's actually going on. I mean, to me, if you anyone who's watched the anything political or anything in the government for the last four years, we, we know we can trust them without any doubt in our minds. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what, what bothers me is it, it feels like it all just smoke and mirrors because look, this is, I'm going to go back to the basic. I think it's a problem. I think all of this fear mongering, scared kids, uncool. Sorry, folks. Anyone who thinks that scared kids is a good thing, they put them on magazine covers. She's an activist. Bullshit. She's a scared kid. I got kids. If you scared my kid like that, you and I are going to have a talk somewhere. <laughs> Maybe behind that woodshed. You're not going to do that, and I won't let you. Right? So I'm amazed that more adults aren't saying that. Like, shut the hell up. What are you doing? Um, so that's just uncool. Right? So, you know, that's the currency. That's the, that's the only really result of all these decades of climate panic has been uh, 
has been scared children and then really ineffective and expensive policies. And so I think it's a real problem. We have to tackle it head on. Um, and we actually have to have a transparent discussion so we can come up with solutions that we can actually afford. Um, just before I forget it, um, I read an article today in the Wall Street Journal. So there is a climate czar, it's not John Kerry, but there's, an, uh, I forget who it is. And so I, I don't have that detail, but um, big tech, right? So social media has now, they're starting to censor people who don't, they're, they're starting to kick people off who don't tout the climate death party line, right? So if you go in there, like, like for what I'm doing is saying, are you sure this is real? Boom, I'm off, I'm off the yeah. platform. And Which to me is the government, you know, our, our, our policy people are saying, hell yeah, we're all in favor of that because we have to know the facts. So you've got yeah, because they're other analysts going, well, wait a sec. <laughs> so you've got now got social media, arguably the, the most effective and broad ranging uh, communication platform ever, who is now in cahoots with the government about a certain narrative. I don't care what that's about. I already don't like it. I don't care if it's about Taco Tuesday, right? It's a bad idea. See, Tim, so, we've we've talked about this, and I feel like no matter what way you grab that, you're gonna get cut. Because <laughs> yeah. like, if we decide to do this censor thing, right, and up they're on they side with the the you know the left and how they want to do things, anyone on the right's gonna get silenced, and then we lose out on those opinions, and that to me that's bad, right? Um, they even if you're losing out on the crazies, but if you don't have any sort of regulation, you're gonna have those crazies in midstream as well. And now we've just got a shit show going on. And the, so, they, so, they tend to be the loudest voice as well, the crazies. But so what do you do? And to me, I don't like, I don't know, I'm not for censorship on the internet. Like, all right, even if I don't agree with them, I still want them to have a voice so I can have a conversation with them. Because if you just tell them to shut the fuck up and that they're stupid, <laughs> then they're going to go on their merry way thinking what they already think. And nothing's well, and then they'll, they'll also go, see, you're pissing off the right people. That's, that's exactly, true. exactly. <laughs> so, you know, if I take this all the way out and I just say, you know, if we're all just to, to hell with it, you know, I, I, I would make a case. And this is this is just me ranting. So uh, take mm -hmm. it for what it's worth. There's no analysis behind this. Um, it's just my my own crazy, crazy, crazy thoughts. So, you know, I look at, um, you know, right, the, the, the Google, Facebook, all of the social media platforms, twi Twitter, um, I would uh, if they are now going to be in charge and anointed by the government to be the arbiters of climate truth, then they now own the problem, okay? They, they <laughs> own this problem, which means that they have to also own the solution. I would argue that those, those companies have one of the, the most egregious CO2 footprints in the world with yeah. all of their server farms, and it's made worse because they have built products. Let me, let me play the pure victim here, like, like it's so popular these days. They've made stuff that I'm addicted to. It's not my fault. Right. It's not my fault that I'm checking, you know, Twitter 20 times a day. It's their fault because they got such an awesome platform. They've also so, normalized the technology like cell phones, for example, smartphones. They've normalized it to the extent that if you don't have it, you're now at a disadvantage professionally and personally. Well, I, I would take it. Yes, but also take it to the extreme. So let's say, that, OK, so now they own they own the dialogue because the government has says they are the clearinghouse of climate truth or whatever that's worth. So they have to own the solutions. So the way to solution, the way to do that is just charge the shit out. So every account that gets set up, Twitter has to pay a dime. Every tweet costs them a nickel. Every single piece of information that gets pumped out using their platform, because think about it, right? Every time someone tweets something, 
some CO2 is being spit up into the air if they're the biggest ones in the world and they now own the entire climate discussions. It's not a tax, right? It's just a surcharge. It's just a, um, you know, if they now own, if they're now the, the arbiters of truth, they have to be the arbiters of the solutions. And this is the way to do it. So every, so imagine, imagine when that rippled through all the social media, just charge the hell out of no more fake accounts because I wouldn't generate it because it would cost me five bucks to generate an email just so I could buy those shoes that I'll never use again. Right. So, right? Mark Zuckerberg would literally shut down. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, if you're going to take this all the way out, take it, take it all the way out. So, uh, and watch what happens then, you know, these guys are the biggest CO2 polluters in the history of the planet. See, I think if you take those, if you take that like crypto or any of the, like the ma these massive servers that we have, yeah, and you take them, what are they doing? They're heat sinks, right? Yep. Use them, use the heat from them, make steam, run a generator. There, we have power again. <laughs> <laughs> Recycle all the energy that they're burning up. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, I, you know, mining yeah, Bitcoin and making power. It's amazing. Well, that was the other thing. I so I, I read an article today about they're starting to shut down Bitcoin because, hey, maybe it's not as clean as we thought it was because it takes. Never, it was <laughs> never clean. We had a guy come on here and he tried to tell us that uh, it, it wasn't bad for the environment because like they were grabbing it off. I was like, yeah, yeah they, so many people in China are, yeah. doing, are doing power scavenging. It's yeah. like bullshit. It's some fucking dude in his basement running that thing 24 seven. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's funny, too, that they, they talk about how uh bitcoin is you know not as clean as we thought it was that was never its intent no it's it's a decentralized no. currency so people can pay each other without being beholden to a government no one yeah. cared that it was clean or dirty that yeah, didn't even just, come up until people were like hey where's all the graphics cards yeah right <laughs> i call that the the climate change attribution train right we just throw every, these days all you got to do uh, you know i hate to draw this parallel but you know it, politicians have Nazis. learned very quickly that uh if you want to get someone to pay for it, just throw the word racism in there and all of a sudden everyone starts to freak out. And right. So that's happened with climate change now. Right. So all you got to do is say, oh, man, you're hurting the climate and everyone starts to look around. And right. So so now Bitcoin was, you know, well, when, when they start taking arrows from whether or not it's valid or not, they say, well, you know, it's, it's better for the climate. So that gave them another six months of operating. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that's a fair point. And now you know, there's all kinds of these these issues that keep coming up where. You know, things like uh, producing and distributing oil, that in itself, yeah, that's going to lead to problems with carbon. But the big issue that we run into is pollution, things like oil spills. We're not really doing a whole lot to mitigate this. We're just charging people. Yeah. Mm. So they're, we're not solving problems. They're collecting revenue. And I don't even know what they're doing with it. <laughs> yeah, well, supposedly it goes to, uh, uh, you know, big climate repairs. You know, I, I call it climate reparations. I hate to say that because I, I immediately is people are going to scream at me, but it's really true, right? That's the whole, the whole plan is, okay, we've been, we've been unusually successful in the world and developing countries have been doing it. And so now it's time for you to pay, right? And so I, I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but, you know, you're not going to penalize, you know, again, 13,000 bucks a year, folks. Um, that's not a number you'll see very often anywhere. I had, it took me a long time to calculate that number and maybe it's wrong, but it's, My certainly not it's, it's a big ticket. It's a big ticket. Well, we've talked about it on this show a couple of times now. It's all, all these fees that they get charged, the penalties they have to pay, the, the corporations in particular, that doesn't mean anything. It's not solving a problem. It's just something that they can go on a PR campaign with. Because to them, at the end of the day, it's the cost of doing business. It doesn't really mean a lot to them, especially with the amount of profits everybody makes. 
They don't care. Yeah, when um, you know, early uh, earlier in the year, when the, the news in California was that the governor was going to give us rebates at the pump, right? And I said, so let me get this straight here. So, you know, we've got this like it's something like eighteen to twenty percent tax uh, tax chain uh, on top of each gallon of gas here, the bulk of which goes to sort supposed clean energy campaigns. So we're going to use the taxes that we pay to pay us back the taxes that we already pay, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not going to lower taxes because, you know, we can't do that, right? We need the money. Yeah, you know, so, but we're going to use your taxes to give you rebates on the taxes. But that's the other thing since COVID, it's like, hey, we're going to do checks for everything and you get some money and you get some money. And it's like, this isn't a solution. No, because now this we're is why this, we're here. Now we're in the situation where the Fed is discussing raising their rates three quarters of a percent, which is huge. They did. So they did today. Oh, did they? So see, yeah. I had read it late last night, early this morning. It hadn't been done yet. So it's official. So they have done that. Yeah, it's official. And, and the stock market rewarded them finally for, a, let's say, hey, you're not as crazy as we thought you were. <laughs> but but now just imagine, you know, think about the COVID mentality. Think about everything that we went through over the past couple of years. Now imagine if it was permanent, right? Imagine if it is. It hasn't gone away. <laughs> well, I know, but imagine now. Um, we just think gonna, it has. You're, you're being hit with a big, huge bill. Uh, again, this is not for now. This is an insurance policy for 50 years from now, a climate right. insurance policy that you personally will never see the benefits of. Your kids may see some benefits, but what? You know, uh, uh, solar panels in Zimbabwe, doubt my kids are going to see that. Their grandkids for some ocean cleanup event, you know, in, in India, don't think so. So imagine now every year we get hit with this bill and um, it's and it never goes away. Like, you know, think about what happened with COVID, right? You just go, well, you know, last summer or a couple summers ago, I was, I'm a instructor at a, a college. I got paid more money to sit at home and do nothing mm-hmm. than I did to teach college. Easy choice, right? I mean, like, I don't have to deal with administration. I don't have to deal with all this stuff and I just sit home and I make almost twice as much money deal. Right. Yeah. So voluntarily pulled myself out of the workforce for that, just for those three months. Cause I was like, okay, uh, I'll do it. And so imagine if that was now business as usual, mm-hmm. where people were just going, I don't think I want to do this. I can make almost a pretty good living. I think, um, you know, just, we're trying to head that way. Like, I mean, especially the democratic party, they're always talking about friggin' standardized income. I mean, yeah, I th- well, they're so going to keep I pushing that you, line. Yeah, well, if you add climate to this, they, they haven't said that. They've been actually very clear, very clever about this and not saying that that's what's going to happen. But this is this is a huge climate tax and say whatever they call it, a carbon tax, if they're going to hit the big egregious uh, companies. But, you know, big egregious companies only pass all that stuff down to us when we pay for the products. So um, so I just don't see that happening. So I my, my I would bet that once these uh, penalties start coming into play in our everyday lives, it changes the whole dynamics. I'm an entrepreneur, so um, you know, I'm sitting here going, am I going to spend three years with no income developing something, knowing that when I finally hit revenue, I'm going to have to give up 13% of that to um, <laughs> the government, something I will never see? No, I, I guess what? I'm, a, I'm now a Singapore com- company. I was saying small business companies are insane to me right now anyways, like if you do the math before you like we've all had those dreams hey i want to start a company and then if you've ever done the math you'd run away screaming with your hair on fire because you pay away 
so much money. And obviously it depends where you live, but I know what by us. Yeah, it's bad. Actually, uh, I was talking to Grizz off air about uh, a side business that I'm working on. When, but when you talk about uh, like how much you're paying as a small company, like like Grizz is mentioning, uh, the numbers are huge. So if you talk about like uh, Medicare and all that, your your withholdings that you have from your regular paycheck, mm-hmm. it's something like like Medicare. I don't remember exactly the number. Let's I say think six. In total, you're giving up more than fifty percent of your earnings. right. But I'm just like we'll just focus on one thing at a time, like Medicare. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the number was 6% that you're paying out of your check, if you go into business for yourself, you're now paying double that because the company you work for was paying that. Now it's your yeah. responsibility. So whatever yeah. you made, it's now 12% instead of six. I think it might actually be 7%. Yeah. Uh, but the numbers are not good. And so if they got if they got bad enough, it really is not worth it anymore. No, it's yeah. not, I know plenty of people who got out of businesses because they were paying more out than the business was taking. Like not that... All right, they were paying out 110. The business was taking in 100%. They were paying out 50%, 60% of what the business was taking in, mm-hmm. and that was before they even paid their employees. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's crazy numbers. That's why I mentioned that, you know, things like the uh, the big taxes and big penalties that they charge companies. Those companies are big enough; they just ignore it. And now, like you said, Mark, it just gets passed on to the consumer, which is us. So we yeah. we always pay for it, like. The Fed raise their rates. That's that's going to come out of our pocket at the end of the day. It's not going to yeah, come out of the company's pocket. Mortgage rates. I mean, you know, no one's going to take a hit for the team, right? Uh, it'll yeah. come to it'll come to us. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> let's go back to uh, your book for a minute, and uh, we can wrap up with some of your final thoughts on on what some solutions might be. Let's say uh, you end up in charge of things around here. So, <laughs> what are what are a few big things we can do? To solve the solve the problems that we're looking at right now, without going too crazy one way or the other, some some real world solutions that actually could work. Yeah, I would um, you know I would highlight conservation. I, I would come up with a with a a national conservation program. Uh, and and you know as soon as you say that to people, they go, well, it's really difficult. I'm like, it's it's it's, it's more difficult than easy. actually trying to replace the entire electricity grid that we've built up over 100 years. So it's not that difficult. And so conservation absolutely can work. Um, second, preservation of natural uh, systems. So trees, reforestation, um, agri-farming, all kinds of natural solutions. I live here in Central Coast, California, so I'm in ag country, right? Farmers know how to deal with land, right? Foresters know how to deal with forests. You know, trust people who, uh, who know how to do this and suck CO2 out of the sky. Um, Third, I would I say we need a new metric. I think we need a, a metric of dollars per CO2 effect, which no one has right now. I did it myself, and it's probably uh, wrong in many levels, but <laughs> you never hear people talk about that. Like I had a conversation in uh, San Luis Obispo with one of the local politicians, and they're very proud of their electric vehicle charging stations and the green bike lanes. And they're like, we're now green, and they spent half a million bucks. And I said, so how much did you affect temperature? And they just, well, we don't know. Um, so I said, well, so what the hell's the point? Right? <laughs> Isn't that the end game? You just spent money and now you're standing up and getting your certificate and getting your photo op. So we need, we need another metric. So we need, we need to be real about these costs. Um, so I think, um, and then the last one, I would love to see climate science put under a spotlight in front of the public. I would love to see them go through um, you know, if, if there was ever anything that happened with Donald Trump, 
put them through that same thing. Any any Supreme Court justice that goes up there and is not popular. You know, we find out about the beer he drank when he was in high school. Who gives a damn, right? But this is climate science, supposedly the biggest problem ever in the history of the world. So I would love to have both sides of the aisle questioning these climate scientists and, and having it be completely transparent. Okay, I think that would just go towards such a long way. Um, you know, there's a reason that Al Gore doesn't ever do debates. <laughs> it's never. He's never had a debate on climate. He just gives monologues. So, uh, and there's a reason. Super serial. You push. You can push that argument over pretty clearly. But that's not to say there's not some truth in there. And so I think we need to be digging for that truth. So I would love to see uh, climate science put on. Uh, you know, put front and center. Let it. Let us have the opportunity to ask questions and really test drive this thing. Because if they're completely right. It'll only help. Mm -hmm. But if they're completely wrong, it'll also only help. But I think that, I mean, all that comes down to we need a pol complete <clears throat> political just reform, right? Everything we're doing in this country right now politically is just so ass backwards. Yeah. Well, and I think the last the last part I would say is, you know, we're on this massive uh, hunt for, to decarbonize. Um, which which is fine, I think, and let's continue that. I'm not saying that we should stop that. I just don't think that we should double and triple and quadruple down on that. I think if you do the math, again, it's that uh, the avoided donut fallacy. You know, even if you de even if you decarbonize, you're still five donuts fatter. <laughs> so so it's not a good strategy. It's just not. And if you spent all of your budget, it's really not a good strategy. So continue this evolution like we've been doing. It's been great, and it's been slowly making things better. But there's no reason to double and triple down on this when we know it's not having the effect that we thought it was. So that's my, uh, that's my five cents worth. <laughs> I, I like it. So uh, where can people uh, get your book and find out more about you and uh, some of your ideas? Yeah. Climaturity.com. I, uh, I, like I said, I invented a, I invented a word. So climaturity and uh, .com and that's, that's where it is. It's uh it's a, a fairly easy read. It's about 110 pages. I, I say it's part science, part satire, and part snark because you just ha it has to be because that's how I feel about this whole thing. So uh, there's some science in there, um, but I'm not a scientist. It's just my opinion of, of the science, uh, and then all you know my experience in working in on the front lines of this, but also in the new renewable energy space. Um, and I've got some opinions about that, and I would just encourage. I just want us, you know, us us three, but us in general to have this dialogue. Let's, we can't be afraid to talk about this. It just baffles me that that no one talks about it, right? It's yeah, it's a shame. So, um, so that's that would be the one thing I hope that comes out of any of this effort is just that we start having this this talk. One hundred percent. So thanks, uh, you know, thanks for being on the show, and uh, it's been informative. And I actually, you know, I'm going to read the book and see, you know, dive a little deeper into your ideas. I'm interested to see you know, more of what you think about it and, you know, what else is going on out there? Yeah. And I'd love, I'd, I'll also say, and I say this to other people, you know, tell me where I'm wrong. You know, I, I, we got to be willing to be wrong too. And I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying here's based on my experience and what I've read. Um, here's what I think. And if there's something that I just completely missed, then let me know. I mean, I'm, I'm totally willing to be wrong on, on this. I think more of us need to be willing to be wrong on some of this stuff if we ever plan on having it solved. So um, so if you read it and you, you think I'm full of crap, then uh, let me know. <laughs> I won't take it personally. I may take it a little bit personally, but um, you know, I, I really do want to triangulate on this thing and see where where a real a set of solutions can be can be found.
Well, Grizz, I don't really know how you feel about it, but after listening to what Mark had to say, I want to read his book to see what his other ideas are. Because we we did some like a high level flyby of the topics that he covers and what he thinks about things. But I want to see something, some more specific details in his book. Mm, I mean, I, I fully understand what he's saying that, yes, what the media is putting out is like they're going for fire and brimstone, shock mm-hmm. and awe, trying to get people's attention. Yeah, um, they are. But I also, I mean, I, I feel like the, there's more correlation than what he's allowing. So maybe his book goes into more detail. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, it's a, it's an entire book instead of a one hour podcast. So it's it's got to go into some kind of detail. But I'm interested to see, you know, how does he view things like um, uh, the actual measured carbon numbers in the atmosphere? I, I'm not a scientist. I don't really know shit about it, except that for uh, from my perspective it doesn't really look like, like global warming as much as the seasons are shifting forward two months you know you know you've noticed that too right yeah i have we've talked about this before um i still think it's global warming like i still not global warming. i think still think there's climate change there of course there there's undeniable climate change because like i talked about in the episode like, yeah dude, there's natural things going on that either a we didn't hear about it due to the news or they're just happening a fucking shit ton more. Yeah, I mean, the the extreme weather. I wish he was a little more uh, well read on that topic because I wanted mm-hmm. to hear his his thoughts a little more in depth. But uh, yeah, I think the the extreme and more constant weather, that's that right there is enough to say, hey, something's definitely different. I mean, dude, I mean, Lake Mead on its own is kind of a. I know we're using that water as well as it's evaporating, but that's yeah. pretty pretty glaring, you know. Yeah. Now. Again, like I said, the uh, the news media would have you believe that we've got 10 years before complete earthly implosion. Mm. Um, and it sounds to me, after this conversation, like Mark understands the danger, just not to the level, like he doesn't think that it's to the level of uh, the news media, which, yeah, you know, they sensationalize everything. I think he recognizes that there is an issue there, but is it catastrophic meltdown tomorrow? No. Hmm. What do you guys think? Thank you again for listening to Beautiful Bastards. New episodes every Monday. Remember to like and subscribe. Since when does anyone have a clue about what they want? Earth provides enough to satisfy every man, but not every man's greed.